Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. What a fantastic episode I have for you today. This week's guest is Sophie Metcalf, who currently works as a head of HR. The reason I think you'll enjoy this one in particular is that Sophie is someone who has actively changed the way HR is thought of in the organisation she's worked for. During our chat, she shares how she was given her first opportunity to work in HR, but said she'd only accept if the directors viewed HR more holistically and not as a compliance function. Since then, she hasn't looked back and now has a track record in creating HR functions that add value to businesses. This was such an insightful talk with Sophie and I could have kept picking her brain for hours as she has so much knowledge to offer. I hope you guys all enjoyed listening. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me on Is This Room Free once again? Um, I'm going to pass over to my guest today and let her do a a quick introduction of of who she is. Um, So Sophie, over to you. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, nice to meet everybody, even if it is virtually. My name's Sophie Metcalf. I'm head of HR for a company called Expect Distribution, based just outside of Bradford. Um, so I've been here for about three months. I'm uh, still finding my feet a little bit with the role, um, but really loving it. Good, good. We, we've we kind of been, uh, I don't know, crossing paths on LinkedIn for, I don't know, maybe half a year or something like that now. Um and I, I became very aware of Sophie because um, she created a group on LinkedIn called Helping Hands into HR. And I quickly, I, I can't remember if you put a post saying looking for contributors or or something like that. I, something I saw something, so kind of joined up um, and then said, you know, I'll be happy to kind of contribute and support kind of where I, where I can. And that's something that that you kind of do on top of your day job as well isn't it yeah that's right I set up helping hand into HR in May last year um, and it's a purely voluntary project so it came about because um, sort of through the power of social media LinkedIn Facebook and so forth I was getting a lot of people reaching out to me and saying can you provide advice on how I can move into HR how I can progress so you as a as a senior HR professional people just approaching you saying how do I get into it yeah, well, I do a bit of mentoring my spare time as well, and there's sort of a few people. How have you got any spare time? <laughs> I don't sleep very much, um, but I'm very passionate about what I do, which helps. Okay, okay. So, so it came from because one of the questions I wanted to ask was why do you do it? You know, loads of people can give advice, um, but why? What what drove you to creating this? Um, this project, this group of then trying to help people? 
Um, well, I don't profess to be a guru and have all the answers, um, but the reason it was set up, um, because so many people were reaching out and I wanted to do something but just didn't have enough hours in the day. And that's really kind of how the group was born, almost by accident. Um, I moved into HR about 20 years ago, completely changed my career. And what I realised very quickly is there isn't a lot of support for people wanting to get into the industry. Once you're in, there's loads of information, there's loads of advice and guidance, but there isn't a lot for people are trying to either move into the industry from another one or actually start that industry after coming out of school or, or college. Um, and I just wanted to find a bit of a platform for people to kind of share their experiences and ideas. And it grew from that. Fantastic. We, I mean, you know, we, we've kind of spoke um, uh, kind of more recently um, rather than just kind of virtual relationship. Yeah. Um, and we've both got a real alignment around this. You know, this is the reason that the podcast exists. It's about, as you said, you know, I get people approaching me asking for advice, not only of how to get into HR, but just general career advice by virtue of what I do. Um, so I created you know, this as a as a platform to to bring in that experience from from guest speakers like yourself to help people. So, I think we've got a kind of a mutual um, goal of just trying to support people through their careers, and whether that's at the very beginning or or further kind of down the line as well. Fantastic. So, I would recommend you know any of the listeners who aren't in HR already but um, are wanting to get in, definitely check out um, Helping Hands into HR on on LinkedIn. Um, I kind of post on there. Um, you can either find it just by typing that in for the group or um, I guess just going through, through kind of your LinkedIn page, so looking for Sophie Metcalf and then um, kind of finding it through there as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's also a Facebook page as well. Um, if people want to join on Facebook as well. It's, it's a duplicate of each other, so either's, either's fine. Okay, superb, superb. So let's get into your your career then. So you mentioned that um, you did start in a in a different career. So you were in banking, financial services. Why why did you pick that as a starting point originally? Anyway. Um, like many 18-year-olds, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school and um, got offered a six-month contract working for one of the high street banks and sort of stayed. You, so why, there. Why, why didn't you go to university? Um, for me, it was, it was a financial decision. Um, you know, my family didn't have the means to send me to university because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It felt very much like it would have been a waste of, of money to kind of go and do something that I wasn't really passionate about. Do you think, think it's something... held you back at all? No, I, I don't at all. I've actually um, now got five degrees um, <laughs> throughout my working life. And, you know, for me, I understand the whole the whole um, kind of thing of universities. It's an, it's an experience as well as the learning and you, know, you get from it. It's the experience of being away from home for the first time, developing a new yeah. network, you know, having relationships with different people and, and so forth. Um, and I guess I missed out on that side of things. But in terms of my career, I don't think it, it has at all because, because I have that life experience. I think that that's made my study so much richer yeah. because I've been able to apply that real practical knowledge. And because I've chosen to do the degrees at a point where I knew what I wanted to do, um, that's to sustain me through the really difficult nights when you know, I've done a 40-hour week at work and then yeah. had to put in another 20 hours studying. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for having that experience and, and doing your education later in life. Yeah, I had um, Kirsty Robinson on last week, and and she um, said, you know, she she was kind of 
of that point where um, university was just the the next step. There wasn't really an alternative option. But um, when she she joined a current company um, a few years ago, she joined as an advisor and three advisors, her being one, all joined at the same time. And one had gone, well, they'd all gone through a completely different route and all landed at the same point at exactly the same age. And it was a, a kind of a realisation for her that, you know, there's there's plenty of ways to do it. Um, I did chuckle a minute ago as well when you said, um, I've now got five degrees. I was like, oh, of course you have, because <laughs> everyone's got time to do five degrees and a job and set up a, a mentoring and help people get into um, yeah, do you, like he said, I hardly sleep. Do you, do you get any sleep? Um, I do. I, I'm one of the people that survives on on very little sleep. I always have done. Um, I have I have um that thing where my brain is never off. So even when you know I can sleep, I'm dreaming about the next day. But um, I I don't think it's a detriment. I I just love to learn. I love to experience new things. And you know, if I can go away from my life, kind of saying yes, I, I've got the most out of it, then that's good enough for me. Five degrees, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies just <laughs> thinking about all of that study. Uh, doing my level seven was enough for me. I was like, oh, done, I'm done. I've got I've got the one that I need to get to give me the insurance policy for getting a new job. I'm, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that killed me. But okay, so going back, I did interrupt. Um, so you got a, a six-month contract at the High Street Bank. Yeah. Um, and then what it just kind of continued from there yeah so you know when I sort of went into the um, banking industry in the sort of <laughs> late 80s early 90s um it was a very secure you know industry it was a, a job for life if you wanted it um and it sort of moved from there so I stayed in banking for a while worked, moved into financial services did my degree in financial services and I was quite happy there for a long time um, but I've always been one of them people where I've been quite driven. I've always wanted to progress to the next thing. I always want to be learning and developing myself. Um, and really randomly, um, I used to teach martial arts. And the thing for me that I get from just another, job, just, yeah, just, just a random thing, thing yeah. there as well. And yeah. So I'm in the Himalayas yeah. at the same time. <laughs> so like, um, you know, I've got to a really high kind of level with, with my martial arts. I was teaching that. And for me, that kind of light bulb moment that people get when they learn something new, when they feel like I've achieved something. For me, that's really addictive. And I want to be part of that journey with people. Um, so Whilst I was still also working in the financial services arena, I decided to, to go to university part-time, which was my first degree, and I did a degree in learning development. And that was really part start of my journey into kind of HR and the people function. What an interesting so, way, though, I, I, to come in it through um, doing a, a sport like that, but it was the it was the the principles of enjoying teaching people and and I know exactly what you mean of when you see somebody have that light bulb moment and get it. Um, and it makes you feel good that, that you've experienced that with them. And that being the kind of driving factor in terms of you then having this kind of change of career, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it, that really was kind of my, my lollipop moment. If you, if that's what you want to call it in terms of where I realized what I was passionate about. Um, so sort of was then looking at kind of learning development roles. And at the same time I was finishing my degree, um, my employer was looking for a HR manager. Our, our, our existing one had just left. And I was asked if I wanted to, to apply for the role. I thought about it and said, no, that's not for me. 
um, because at the time the role was very kind of transactional, very compliance driven. It was all kind of very old fashioned. Um, and the, the MD at the time said, okay, so if, if we gave you this role, what, what would it look like for you? And I gave it some thought and realized that actually learning development is great, but you only see a very small part of people's journey. Whereas actually if you're in the HR and the people function, you have an opportunity to make a huge difference in so many different ways. So I had a really you know, good think about it, um, wrote my own job description, came back a few days later with a six-page job description, put it in front of the MD, who was a little bit taken aback, to be fair. Um, he looked at it and he went, well, we've never thought about HR like this. We've always assumed it's that kind of, we have to have it for the compliance piece, but we've never thought about the talent management, never thought about the succession planning, never thought about keeping people within the business. Um, so they gave me six months to prove myself. So what 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 point in time are we at now? What what kind of year? So this this is um this is about eighteen years ago now. Um, okay, so, so early early twenty two thousands. Uh, yeah. So was because I I didn't come into HR until two thousand and ten, um, and uh, like we were almost a decade before that. Was so excuse my ignorance, but was yeah. was um. It almost seems like you were quite kind of forward thinking in the way that, I mean, great, what an opportunity, able to virtually write your own job description and go, well, actually, I'm I'm going to come at this from a very different perspective of not being the compliance aspects of it, but actually, you know, talent development, talent mapping, engagement, um, increasing performance through that. Was that something that was commonplace across HR teams or was this you being you know a, um kind of an innovator a you know what's the word I'm looking I can't think of the word I'm looking for yeah. but pioneer that's the word I was looking for all I could think of in my head yeah. cowboys and I was thinking I know it's something to do with people going out getting new land but yeah pioneer yeah. I never even thought of it like that at the time because then at that point I didn't have this like amazing network that I have now. I didn't have a lot to do with that whole HR world outside of my own organisation. What I knew is that I could make a difference to people and and to the business through doing that. And, you know, I didn't want to go in and be that person that just did disciplinary grievances. What I wanted to be was the person going, okay, so let's get the best out of you. Let's tell you what we expect of you so then you can achieve that rather than telling you off because you haven't done something that we've not really articulated. Being, being a grown, um, being a grown up on as an employer, respecting yeah. you as an adult and believing that you will come to work and do a good job and equally giving people the, the free reign to, to, to step up and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're sort of the, the values I still hold really strongly today. Um, and I think that the industry is now, over the last sort of 10 years, certainly the HR industry has turned on its head. And over the last sort of 12 months with the pandemic, I think people are seeing that the people industry in a new light. Um, but yeah, I, I suspect what you said is right, that for a long time it was very compliance driven. I mean, it used to be called personnel back in the day, didn't it? Um, it wasn't about kind of looking after your people. It was about making sure they got paid on time or they turned up on time and they, you know, they didn't talk for eight hours and they just got the nose to the grindstone. And it's a very it still is in some places. I, I know some organisations who still reference it as, as personnel, um, which, you know, then makes me realise, oh, right, you're that type of organisation, then mm-hmm. you're you're still looking at it from that that mentality. Yeah, and for me, it's, it's that view of are, are they a, an asset or are they people? And if you treat people like tools and assets, 
they have a very different value to the ones that I believe in, which is you treat people well, you develop them, you, they stay with you, that you know they will go to the nth degree for their business. Um, so what I'm really interested then, so so you're in an organization, I mean, you know, financial services. I don't want to be stereotypical, but you know, quite old school in the way yeah. they operate anyway. Um, you know, not not necessarily renowned for being you know, pioneering as, as, as businesses, you've had an opportunity presented to you by, um, was it, was it the owner or the MD? Um, well, it was the MD at the time. The MD. So yeah. it comes to you, do you want to do HR? Yes, but not as you know it. Ripped up the rule book, wrote your own job description. It's more about having a, a people-centred culture. His response, I mean, what, you said he, you know, we've never thought of it this way. Did he then embrace it, and and what happens? I'm guessing you then did the job. So what? How? How did you then implement this different mindset, and what were the results of it? Okay. Well, initially, I was given six months to do the job, and they said if you fail, then you'll be out the door in six. Oh months. my god, that's um, talk about a ticking it, clock. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was either you know fall on your sword or, or succeed kind of thing. Um, but that almost made me more, more determined than any, any of the, because nobody, you know, I'm one of these people, if you told me no, I will find six ways to say yes kind of thing. Um, so lots of, of, of different things. So a lot of it for me was about building those foundations, having really clear kind of policies and procedures and setting out our expectations for people. So the initial thing was kind of getting the disciplines down, getting the grievances down, doing the management training, look at why we have such a high level of, of sickness and turnover. So real fundamental things. And quite quickly, um, we saw a change in the way people viewed the business in terms of actually, yeah, I'm getting the development I need. My manager understands what I need. I know that I can reach out because up until that point, you know, HR had been, you were only absorbing if it was a problem. But so six, really- six months to change a whole cultural mindset isn't a long it's not, and it, it wasn't all done in those six months. It was a, a series of, of steps as we went through. So it's like to see like grassroots change yeah. that, but, that, that made them believe, actually, we are turning a corner here. We can see the benefits of, of this transition. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So it's a little, there's little bits. And what I, tend to, what I tended to find is you changed it from within. You didn't necessarily change it from the top. It's a saying about change comes from the top, but that's not always true in my experience. If you've got leaders that don't articulate their values and their beliefs and don't share that with the people, you know, with the business, that, that's never going to, to have an impact. So it's about, for me, it's about working with the managers, working with the employees, just chipping away at that negativity and that cynicism about HR and going, okay, so this is what I can do for you. you know, and actually delivering on what we said we were going to do. And from that, you then get a bit of a fan club, for want of a better description, who then start talking about others. You have influencers, don't you, in a business who start sort of, shouting you know about how amazing you are so you know over a, a period of, of a decade um, a lot of things changed but it, it was a tough job don't get me wrong there were some days that you know I walked away and I thought you know can I do this um, and it, it kept, kept coming back to those values of yes I believe I'm doing the right thing this is how I would want to be treated this is the difference that I'm making to people um, and when you start seeing that start seeing results that just gives you the energy to keep going so you, 
so you were successful did you say you stayed with them for for 10 years I was, I was there for there for a long time so um I finally left them at the beginning of last year okay um so, so what, what size of organization was it so when I joined they had about 100 staff um when I left they had over 700 um, wow about seven locations and it started as quite a small family firm um, and when I left, they were listed on the M stock market. So they'd gone through this huge growth transition and all the cultural changes that are needed with that and commercial changes and all that kind of thing. So it was a, it was a huge learning curve for me as well. Great opportunity for me to do it. Um, do you? But, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> I can't imagine you're going to be humble when you say this, but I'm going to blunt question. Do you think they could have achieved that level of growth over that period? had they been continued doing HR the way they had? So I guess, do you think you were fundamental? I'm not going to say all down to you, but do you think you played a significant role by changing the the culture and the way the business operated to giving them that springboard for the growth? I think, there was a, yeah, I think I definitely contributed to that. And no, that's not to say if they didn't have another person, that wouldn't have happened. Um but I think it took the personality that had the values, that had the passion I had to change that culture. And I don't think it would have done if it sort of continued with HR in the same way that it yeah. did. Um, the reason that I left in the end was I just felt their values no longer fitted with what I did. They'd become so commercially orientated. They were almost gravitating back to the old way of doing HR. Which and people is difficult function. when you get to that size and, and, and when you do, you know, if they then went onto the, the, the stock exchange, um, it is difficult then to keep that family type principles and culture because you you know you have a responsibility to to deliver on the bottom line then don't you and, and sometimes it, it's that kind of torn moment of can we can we continue the way we have been or do we now just need to again go back to kind of a very commercially focused business and that's a really interesting um, question and for me, it's always about balancing the needs of the people and the needs of the business. But I still believe if you have the right people with the right skills, the right knowledge in a the business, they will do nothing but add value. And when you take away that kind of learning development, when you take away that talent mapping, when you take away succession planning, you start devaluing the business because you're always chasing to catch up with the next thing. And it, HRN is one of those really hard things to quantify sometimes. And if you don't work in the industry, I think sometimes people struggle to understand the value that it can bring. Um, but I do think they go hand in hand. That's see that that for me is a really what you've just said is is a really significant point because I'm I'm not operational in HR. I I'm in recruitment. I'm a an introducer if you want to call it that, of, you know, if, if somebody has a, a vacancy, I find them the best people that I possibly can for that role. But within some of the education that I do, um, you know, if we talk about candidates, I, I often say to them, and I've, I've spoke about this on the podcast before, you have to try and commercialise your CV. So, you know, let, let's again. Your your situation um, in that role was great. If you were then leaving, then wanting to go into another role similar, who is going to be the recipient of your CV? Typically, it's going to be an MD, a CEO, maybe an FD, somebody of that level. And the language they talk isn't in 
engagement and um, productivity from a well-being perspective. It's about the bottom line. But if you can then articulate not only what you did, but the impact it had. So I, you know, I initiated an, an engagement um, cult, highly engaged workforce culture that had an impact of improving, you know, improving attrition, um, reducing recruitment, uh, retaining tacit knowledge, uh, improving productivity across the workforce because of all these reasons, which had then an impact of, on the bottom line of X or reduced each one of those elements by X percent. You're now articulating the impact that HR can have on a a PL essentially, which is the language that they need to hear. And I I try and coach that from entry level all the way. And it's sometimes it's harder for for HR administrator to say how they've had an impact, but but if they've gone in and changed something, they've still had an impact, you know, to improve the system or an efficiency. Um, but I very much kind of talk around all that when I coach people as well because I I think it's 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 very very important um I'm kind of very interested in still around that role because um if I'm thinking about some of the listeners there could be people who are in standalone positions who are thinking yeah well you know that's that's my world the one that you you kind of came from where the owners just see me or the, the the leaders of the business just see me there to be compliant, to, to get bums on seats when we have a vacancy, to make sure everyone's got a contract, to keep people in check. How do people who are in that but know the value that they can add because it will make their job more enjoyable and they, they know that if they were given license to make those changes in the organization, they can make a real difference as you just did. How would you advise that people go about putting a, I don't know, a proposal or a business case forward or, or influencing those leaders of the business to have a slightly different mindset to the way that HR can be applied? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. Um, and I think sometimes results speak for themselves. A lot of what I did was done by stealth. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody puts themselves in a difficult position in their role, but um, I started doing things in the business that didn't cost anything, but I knew it would have an impact. So things like just running internal training courses for managers on absence management. Um, you know, it's like a two-hour two training session once a month, sort of best practices. This is how you deal with it. This is the actual cost of the business and so forth. And then from that, we could kind of see the absence rates dropping. We understood what the problems were. So from that, you can then start building little bits of evidence that say, this is the value that I'm adding. And that then garners a bit of support. So you, when you do want to do something a bit bigger or you need budget from it, you've then got something to say, actually, this is what we've done so far. These are the results. Um, and it is sometimes really difficult um, when you've got a board that doesn't always value HR. They like the results, but they don't want to spend any money. Um, and for me, a lot of it is about relationship building across the employee um, base and across the manager base and having those really constructive conversations. And it doesn't need to be a big thing. You know, if you know a manager is struggling, just reach out to them once a week and say, is there anything you need help with? 
um, things like where we've got um, high turnover, making sure you do proper exit interviews and understanding what the cost of that recruitment was, what the cost of replacing that person is. Um, I had um, a scenario in the company we were talking about where we were spending a quarter of a million pound on recruitment every year um, because everything went through a recruitment agency. Um, and you, you know yourself that sometimes the agencies can quite costly. And a good 80% of that was replacement staff because we weren't interviewing well, we weren't doing exit interviews, we weren't onboarding well. So it was a really simple piece of work in the grand scheme of things to run some training sessions on this is how you should recruit, this is how you onboard, this is how you keep people engaged. But then looking at other alternatives to recruitment, so we went from a quarter of a million pound to £65,000 in the space of, of 12 months. And to be able to go to the board and say, I've done this with no budget, with no backup from you, you need to start listening to what I'm saying. I deserve a place at the table. Are you are you quite assertive when you have those conversations? Um, I'm what I would call quietly confident. So I'm quite softly spoken. I don't scream and shout. Um, I don't do confrontation. Um, my typical um, mode of operation is when somebody's shouting at the board table, as I would just let them do their thing, let them shout and scream, and then once it's calmed down and gone quiet, I will say my piece. So let them have their um, tantrum and then... Yeah. It doesn't work for me in terms of that who, who shouts loudest because you don't get anything meaningful from it, you don't get anything constructive from it. And sometimes it's about recognising that you're not going to get the answer that you want or need that day and giving it a chance to settle and coming back in a couple of days and say, we started talking about this, these are my thoughts, can we have further discussion? So it's about it's about understanding your board as well because you'll have very different personalities on the board. Um, you know, you'll have a finance director, you'll have a, an MD, you'll have an ops director, and they'll all have different ways of doing things. So really understanding what they want from you in terms of those proposals. You know, do they want numbers? Do they want outputs? Do they want costs? You know, do they want timescales? And being able to tell your approach to those, that kind of situational leadership approach, but managing up as well as across. Yeah. Okay. I really like that. I don't know why. In the, in, this is a, a real <laughs> tangent. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, do we need to be shouting in the workplace? And I'm thinking... Is there an argument that people are passionate and that's why they're shouting? Or is it just that they're trying to be a bully and is that why they're shouting? And it's, it's I don't know, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud here, but it just, it just got me thinking like it's an odd, you can picture it because it happens that you're in a boardroom and it gets heated and people start shouting. But actually, do we really need to be, you know, at work shouting and screaming at each other when it's, is it, is, it, is it frustration? Is it is it bullying? I don't know. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, thought. And I've been in a lot of different board meetings and, you know, I've seen different things. And I think sometimes it is passion. I think sometimes it overwhelms people. But the problem is when you get to that point where you're shouting and screaming, you lose the thread of what you're saying. You lose the articulation of what you're saying. It just becomes noise. Um, but having the self-awareness to kind of take a breath and step back and go, okay, this is what I want to say and this is where I want to get to, isn't always easy. Mm. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of self-development, but I've seen it in a lot of senior managers, very senior leaders, where they're great commercially at what their job but have very little people skills. And there's a saying about, you know, being able to being promoted above your abilities. Um, and for me, everybody should have people skills no matter what level you're at because without them, you don't get anywhere in today's world. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Because I, I'm, I'm very much of, you know, I, I've seen it 
um, happen when I was in HR and, and, and essentially recruitment is, is a sales culture. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been in recruitment a long time. Um, I almost say I just had a hiatus in, um, in HR for six years. Um, but often in, in the world of recruitment, the best salespeople just get naturally promoted to managers as you would in probably a typical kind of sales structure. And often they're the worst managers because they just focus on, you know, yeah. their, their sales because that impacts their bottom line. And I'm very much of, of a belief that um, it shouldn't necessarily be that person who is promoted to management. You should look at a slightly different model of if someone's technically great, maybe just remunerate them better or give them, you know, what what is it that moving their career forward looks like to them without just having to do it's almost like a blinker approach going yeah. okay well you're the best technically we'll just make you a manager when actually you're taking them away from their technical expertise you're burdening them with people management responsibilities that they don't want to do they're not great at it the team's then being impacted because they've got the wrong person leading them what's your thoughts around all that yeah so I think there's a very traditional approach to progression in, in organisations. I'm starting to see some changes around that, particularly in places like Google, who've got some really interesting stuff going on. Um, but we have this kind of traditional hierarchy, don't we, of succession in that you, excuse me, you come in at the bottom, you do your time, you move to the next level, you do your time and so forth. But what I've learned over the years is that everybody has different motivations. You know, there's all the different theories of motivations, whichever one you want to follow. But someone that is, you know, in their early 20s or mid-20s that has just started a new family, success for them will look very differently from someone that's 45 and, you know, has has kids that have flown the nest kind of thing. So for me, it's about understanding what is success, what is motivation for each person in your team. You know, I've got five people in my team and they've all got different aspirations. I will work with each of them to, to get them to where they want to be. And for some, that will be academic qualifications. Some it will be, I'm happy doing my job. But I'd like to have a bit more challenging things. I'd like to have a bit more interest. For some, it's actually my priority right now is to be able to put food on the table for my daughter. So understanding what that looks like. So for me, for me to promote somebody beyond their understanding, beyond their aspirations, is the wrong thing to do. It's wrong on so many levels because it frustrates them. It frightens them. The business loses out. I end up in a situation where I'm trying to performance manage somebody who really doesn't want to be doing that job. Um, there was some stuff going around a couple of years ago about um, recruiting people and fitting the, the job to the people. So rather than having a really rigid job description, trying to match people to that, it was about um, talking to, you know, really great individuals in the workplace going, tell me what your skills are, tell me what your values are, tell me what your beliefs are. And then actually going on the organisation going, actually, yeah, we can use these skills here or we can use these skills there. So it wasn't one traditional role. It might have been, you know, a whole, whole bundle of things. And I think that's a really interesting kind of thing. Then. And we should be exploring that further. And it's something I'm seeing people like Google do. Um, You've got my brain. Creative way doing, yeah. Honestly, my brain <laughs> is going a million miles an hour right now because um, they – I'm, I'm almost going to be a bit selfish here because this is really fascinating for me. I'm, I launched Hire People January last year. I'm, I'm at the point that I'm going to need to recruit soon um, for myself. I, I, you know, I try and run a, an agency that breaks the mold of traditional agencies, don't do any sales calls, 
Um, and I really want to kind of change the, the structure of the way that a recruitment agency operates and not just go, okay, I'm just going to bring someone who's just going to do the job of recruitment. I want to, I, I want to fo- focus it all service orientated. And I'm listening to you now and my brain is thinking, oh my God, I could, yeah. It's just about coming at things from a different perspective sometimes, isn't it? And yeah. this is really fascinating for me. Like I said, my situation is slightly unique because I'm, I'm going to be an employer um but i'm very fluid in how how i structure my organization what that brings in and I, I very much like that of thinking okay bring somebody in um there's there's an organization actually I'm, I'm working with at the moment and they said something that um really resonated and as i'm talking about the role with candidates i'm really focusing on this point and they say we look at people's super strengths so as an organization their culture Let's say if you're if you're a, a seven out of ten at um, I'm going to apply it to HR. Um, it's a marketing role, but I'm going to apply this to HR. So let's say you're a seven out of ten at um, systems work. So you're great on the system, but you're a three out of ten on your employment law knowledge. So rather than go, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put you on some training. We're gonna focus around getting your employment law knowledge up and how you how you are at doing um, ER casework. And at best, you're going to get that person to a five out of 10 because for some reason, it's just not their natural strength. But actually, they're really good at the systems work. And, and what this company say are, well, what, to be honest, we're not going to even try and get you from a three to a five on your ER side. We realize you're amazing at the systems. So we're going to get you to a nine or a 10 on that. And really like focus on what somebody's amazing at. Somebody else can do the stuff that you're not great at. We will we'll pick that up. Somebody else will do it. And it, it's almost, it's not quite, but it's almost aligning to kind of what you're talking about there of focus on what people are great at and let them be awesome at it rather than yeah. making them do the stuff that they're not really that that good at because it needs to fit into a mould, like you say. Yeah, and there will always be bits and pieces of your job that you don't enjoy as much. But for me, if you're absolutely passionate about what you do and love what you do, you will give so much more for the business benefits and you will retain your employees as well. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of how you create that loyalty and that longevity. I'm, honestly, I am finding this so fascinating. I, I'm going to struggle to keep this to an hour. I think, <laughs> I think there's going to be a part two to all this. So going back to... I kind of want to just kind of finish off um, trying to help people who are maybe in that that situation where they're at loggerheads with the 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 leadership team, senior mm-hmm. management. They know they can add value, but are struggling to do so. So we said about you know identify some some low cost or zero cost initiatives that they can do. Um, do you recommend? Kind of quick wins, so low-hanging fruit. Do something that is quite simple but could have a you know a, a beneficial impact that they can get those results quickly to to support their business case proposal, their argument, yeah. or whatever it is. So I think the one of the really quick wins that you can do very easily is changing the reputation of HR within your organization, particularly if you've got one where they're kind of viewed as kind of the jail keepers if you like in terms of they only ever turn up when there's a problem start sending a monthly update out to the whole of the organization saying this is what's going on in hr at the moment this is what's coming up this is who we are 
make yourself seem human, have, you know, some silly facts about yourself kind of thing. Get on the floor, start talking to people, start building reputations, being people that can help. Um, and very, very quickly you'll find that that escalates. So let's um, let's play devil's advocate for a second. Some people will listen to that and go, oh, well, that's all very well and good. You know, it's Sophie's there saying I should be doing this and that and the other. I just haven't got the time. I'm I'm so busy, you know, we're so busy dealing with sickness and disciplinaries and recruitment. I haven't got time to to go out and build relationships and write a a monthly update. I, I just I haven't got the time for it. Yeah. If you don't change something, nothing will ever change. I can't remember who said that, but that, that quote always sticks in my head. And I was in exactly the same position when I sat in the role that we we're talking about. You know, we were so busy reacting to things that it was very difficult to kind of go, where do we even start? So there was, I think there was a team of three of us at the time. So we made the decision that actually we were going to take two weeks out from dealing with anything that wasn't absolutely urgent and we were going to start walking the floor. And we were amazed at the impact that that had. Really? Yeah. In what way? Because what was happening is, um, so we, we had a grievance and, and disciplinary of maybe 10% of the employees, which is pretty high, really. Oh. Um, and what we found is when we were walking the floor, started talking to managers, managers were going, actually, I've got this problem. How do I sort of deal with it? Rather than always going down the sort of the disciplinary route. They just wanted a bit of hand-holding, but because they didn't know the best way to approach it, they were going like down the you know the, the straight line of it kind of thing. So very quickly we started seeing a drop in those cases for that freedom. It's almost kind of nibbing in the bud before yeah. um, it kind of gets to formality. Yeah, things like the absences, you know, where people were off sick um, or, or unwell for any reasons, rather than just kind of go through the exit interviews, we'd go and spend a bit of time and say, you know, is everything all right? Is there anything we need to know about? And we actually discovered more about our employees that way than doing the exit interviews. You know, we found out some had young children, some had recurring chronic illnesses, some of them were having massive problems with their managers. So we were uncovering this whole heap of things, which then took more time to deal with. But actually, we were solving those problems along the way that were taking up all of our time. And it's about flipping your brain and looking at it in a different way. So rather than reacting to it, get in front of it. It's interesting, you know, you hear so much in in various aspects of the way the world works now of things being automated or computers doing things or being robotic. And, you know, even, even in my world, recruitment saying, you know, recruitment agencies will um, be extinct in the next 10 years because it'll all be done through AI. I disagree. I, I think you need that. We're people. We're all different the best way we can get under the skin of, of issues and problems and or finding out who's best for what and, and, and solving those jigsaw issues that we have is simply by talking, communicating. I don't think there'll ever be a substitute for just that human interaction and the dialogue. And, you know, I, I think probably... You know, there's maybe been a um, a dip in all of this because of the way that you know the businesses have had to operate over the past year through through video and Teams, and it's gone digital and virtual, and and you miss out on those little chats that can a five minute chat can be worth its weight in gold. It can be more productive than anything else you do for the rest of the day because you found something out that actually helps you add another piece that jigsaw and. and 
and map it all together again. I think you're right. And you know, there's been some really interesting stats come out over the last quarter about you know, since we've been in lockdown, so many people have struggled without that social interaction. But when you look at kind of the growth in social media that people are using, not necessarily for work, but for a personal level, there's no it's no coincidence that that's gone massively through the roof because it's a pe- people's way of connecting. But there was a really interesting piece that I read last month about how um, 10 years ago, most people would only know one or two of their neighbours but actually now something like 93% of people know 50% or more of their neighbours because they're now socially interacting with the people around them that one might pass in the street because they're not having those you know, social relationships. So we are really, as a, as a race, we are socially interactive. We need each other. Yeah. Um, there's a scary statistic I heard. There's a book I've got. I can't, I can't, I'm annoyed I can't remember the, the title of it now. Um I'm not going to go into it, it's too much to explain, um, but I remember hearing that um, it was something like one in two or one of three Americans identify as being lonely. Yeah, there was a big piece that they wanted a couple of weeks ago on, on TV about it, right. which is a huge statistic. Yeah, you know, one in two or one in three um, is just scary really scary you know to be isolated and actually actually feel lonely in your day-to-day life is is a horrible thing given you know how we're supposed to be so connected and and so overpopulated uh, populated and, and things like that it's, it's it's staggering um but yeah it com- just comes down to in those those human interactions those those conversations doesn't it yeah i'm, I'm going to ask something else now because i'm really interested mm. you've referenced now a few things that you've read I don't know how you have the time for this, but you obviously <laughs> you you obviously read these articles and, and things. Where do you get these from? Because this this all sounds like it feeds into your your knowledge, your thought process as a HR leader. Where is there something you can recommend where listeners can can pick up on these things, or do you just get them from a multitude of different channels? It just comes from a multitude of different things that are picked up over the years. So I will have sort of links into employment solicitors that do kind of the, the newsletters and updates. So I get a lot of my updates from thing. I love things like Harvard Business Review. They have some amazing articles on there. Um, things like the Chartered Management Institute has some really great articles. And some of these are like paid for, some of them you can pick up free. But even just connecting with different groups on Facebook and LinkedIn, there's always something that somebody's come across and shares um you know there's lots of kind of companies that have newsletters that, that share different um things and i'm on a lot of different forums so it's not just taking the information it's about being able to discuss it and put it in different contexts because people will interpret that information differently and of course everybody works in a different business so it's being able to apply that yeah. to their own business and their you know their own organization um but yeah I, I must be signed up to like so many different update services and there's so many free ones out there if you just google them um you know for whatever you're interested in but I think the thing with me is it's not just HR it's the whole people function that I look at that I'm interested in because that's my my passion has always been about the whole picture you know getting the best out of everybody for different reasons I think that's really I think that's a good point as well because something I've, I've kind of picked up from you and and I've always I don't know I've always I don't want to pigeonhole people but I've been very tuned um, probably since I went into HR that I've always felt there's two types of profiles. There's those who are quite blinkered and they're quite functional in just doing what their 
their role is. And then there's other people who seem to be able to look at it all holistically and they can they can see how all of the dots join up. And I don't know whether that's true or not. That's just maybe my blunt way of, of, of kind of looking at it. But I've just felt that people tend to sit into two camps and, and I've always kind of gravitated from a maybe a recruitment perspective to the people who I identify as being able to see that bigger picture and and, and understanding the ripple effect of, of kind of what they do across an organisation, how all those different siloed parts actually kind of join up. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's something I get asked a lot on sort of helping hand is, you know, what do I do in HR? Because people don't realise how vast an industry it is. And I guess you could probably describe me as a generalist um, because I do a bit of everything. I'm not quite sure what I describe myself as, but that's probably the closest term. But, you know, you sort of have your HRBPs, you have the UER specialists and so forth. And I think the challenge we have with HR is for such a long time we have been kept out of the commercial aspect is we now need to develop those skills so I've been really lucky in some respects but I'm also very determined in kind of asking those questions about the budget you know about headcount about workforce planning and so forth so I try and look at it that that overall thing you know look at the business as a whole and what it needs but you're absolutely right there's a lot of roles out there that are a very small piece of that people function and if you if you're in there you can get pigeonholed and not realize quite how much that impacts on everybody else around you Okay. I could honestly, I could keep going on and on and on, but I'm conscious we're still on your first HR job and we've not even progressed to the other stuff. So, so you're in that for a decade and then you, you decided to move on the values. They, they had almost kind of come full circle and and we're going back to um, kind of less people centric and more on the bottom line. Mm. Where did you go kind of next in your career then? Um. So I did a number of years there. I left in January 2020, um, had a new role to go to. So that was a smaller organisation. So I was basically going into it to kind of start up the HR function there. Unfortunately, because of COVID, that fell away. Um, worked in a charity for six months um, in a kind of people experience role rather than a head of, because I just wanted to try that side out. I'd always worked in like commercial organisations, so I wanted to see what charity sector was like. So what is a people experience role? How is that <laughs> different to HR? Is this just a jazzy title or is there actually a fundamental difference? It's actually a proper role in HR. So it's meant, it, it's a little bit of recruitment. It's a little bit of talent planning. It's a little bit of L&D. It's kind of that engagement piece um, that you try and get what I discovered very quickly is a I will never work in the charity sector again um, and b actually pigeonholed me too much I like having that variety of, of what I do doing all the different things um, what put so you off about the charity sector or the not-for-profit um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this but they employ a lot of people things move so slowly there's a lot of duplication a lot of waste and which is ironic for an organization that yeah probably so, needs so, to be as efficient yeah. as possible so that didn't sit with kind of my values of what I thought okay. a charity should be and this is very on PC but they're so worried about upsetting somebody nothing ever happens nobody will ever make a decision you can't you know you go to a meeting with 30 people and everybody has to have a say rather than somebody going this is what needs to happen let's make it happen so I was there for six months and didn't really achieve anything. 
Um, well, we can we can really give you we can give you a, a loophole because we can say I'm sure they're not all like that. No. Um, my mum actually did work in the not-for-profit sector for a number of years, um, and she was a I can't remember. I think she ended up being a a, a CEO. Sounds a bit grandioso, um, but she was she was kind of running an organisation. Um, but she had some HR experience as well, and and she was very much. You know, she went in and, and found exactly what you found that it was, you know, don't ruffle the feathers too much. And she was like, well, this is nonsense. We're not, we're not achieving what we need to do. If someone's not pulling their weight, then, you know, we're not, we need to be more commercial. We need to be more streamlined and, and directing in what we're doing. Um, so yeah, my mum found exactly the same in that sense, but she, she loved it. She had a, a real passion um, and she, she stuck in it for many years. But yeah, I, I kind of get where you're coming from on that one. But we will caveat all this and say yes, of course. Yeah, they are not all. I'm sure there are some some out there that um, are definitely yeah. not like that. Okay, it, it just wasn't for me. So yeah, and, and so, do you know what? Horses for courses. Not not every role and every type of sector um, is going to write for everyone. You know, sometimes I can meet people who are trying to get into HR, and I say to them, look. You're too clean cut. Do do not go down the manufacturing route because it will not you yeah. you need to be in legal or professional services or something. And vice versa, you know, there's some people who are they they just love that nitty-gritty HR and, and actually to go into um, a corporate environment just wouldn't wouldn't suit yeah. them either. Absolutely. Um yeah. so we we all fit in 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 our own different places. Yeah. Okay, and then you you then joined your my current employer, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, again, the power of LinkedIn. I um, I was made redundant actually from the, the charity, and within about a week, um, sort of putting out a message saying, you know, this is the situation. Can anybody recommend anybody any jobs that are going? I was headhunted, um, offered five jobs in the same same week. Um, had to really had an opportunity to sort of pick my own and, and come to, to come to expect. And I've been here three months now, and I've come in to a business that started as a family firm. So they've grown very quickly over the last couple of years, but hadn't the people function hasn't sort of kept up with it. But they're really they really share my values about the fact that people, the people function should be strategic, it should be integral to the business. They understand it affects the commercials. So I really kind of got a blank slate to come in and go, okay, so what's working, what's not working, what do we need to do differently? What aren't we doing that we should be doing? And really mold that. Um, so it's really exciting opportunity. It's yeah. crazy busy. But it sounds like it fits you perfectly of them giving you carte blanche of just going, look, make the changes that you feel are necessary and, and get us to where we need to be. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm curious. So you're what what's it like being a, a head of HR who oversees a team? So I'm, I'm thinking of maybe, maybe a slightly different audience now with people who um, maybe have aspirations of being ahead of. And what what are the what are the pros and what are the cons of being a HR leader and a, and a manager of the HR function? Okay. Well, I guess the first thing to say is a head of role can vary massively between organisations. You know, for me, it's a very strategic role in a smaller organisation. You might be, you know have a team of three people and, and have quite small small function um i think you've got to have a team that you trust 
and you've got to understand both the strengths and weaknesses of the team and be able to play to those. Being ahead of gives you that freedom to really explore different things and try out different things. Um, but it also means you've then got to balance the needs of your team. And I think when you work in HR, I never think of my team as just the people that directly reporting to me. My team are all of my employees because they've all got different needs, they've all got different wants, they've all got different aspirations. So what I do for one person will not be right for everybody. So having that kind of responsibility for 310 employees can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. And you have to sort of remember, okay, as long as you kind of do your due diligence, as long as you're passionate about what you do, as long as you're confident about what you've done, things will go wrong. That's okay. We can fix those. As long as you can stand up and say, actually, I messed up or we did it with the best intention and didn't realise these consequences. Um, so it's about having the strength of character to be able to do that. Um, but also having the strength of character to kind of go, I don't agree with what the business is doing. You know, a few times, um, not in this job, but in previous jobs, I've had to stand up and say, you're not treating people well. This is not going to work. This is morally, ethically wrong, etc." And there are times when I've had to compromise my own values because the business has gone down a certain route and I've said my piece and they've still gone, decided to go a certain way. So sometimes that can, can really bite is when you have to compromise your own sort of values. And one of the things sort of I did want to say is when you work in HR, make sure you work for a business that shares your, your values and your beliefs because otherwise you'll be really unhappy. You know, they won't always gel, they won't always match, but you know, if they do 90% of the time, you can't go far wrong. There's a lot of people who are in that situation and stick with it because they have a nervousness or a concern that their CV will look jumpy if they leave a role. I've been in exactly that situation. I I joined a company who the owner was a, a racist, a sexist, a, everything that ended in ist. He he wore those like a badge of honour. And, and I quickly realised, you know, ethically, morally and professionally, he couldn't work there. But I was very comfortable at leaving that because I thought, I just can't stay here. And, and if I'm honest and... And, you know, people will believe some of the stuff I, I could tell them, you know, you couldn't make up. But the more I've done this job, the more I've um, spoken to, to oh, so, so many people who've been through exactly the same bump in the road at some point on their career. And I actually say to people, sometimes it's better to leave sooner and just go, yeah, I joined, hands up. I, I couldn't work there. I didn't, you know, had they been honest about their culture or actually what they wanted from HR at the beginning of the process, we'd, we'd have, you know, both dodged a bullet because I'm not right for them and they're not right for me. Rather than gritting your teeth and sticking through it for a year, worried about what it'll look like on your CV, I think sometimes just if it's not right, get out. Don't worry about the consequences. But when you go to interviews, don't worry either, because usually the person on the other side, when they hear it, will be quite compassionate. And if they're not, yeah. then that's a red flag for you. If, if they're not compassionate to um, you raising your concerns that it wasn't the right employer, then that is a concern that maybe this yeah. isn't the right employer again this no, time around. I, I totally agree with you. I know a lot of people are worried about their jobs at the moment with you know the last 12 months, but the market is really picking up. And what I've discovered is that HR is one of those industries where people do move because they move for progression. 
you know, if you start off as a HR administrator in a relatively small company, there's not an opportunity to, to move there. You need to move to another organisation that can give you that opportunity. So never be frightened of, of doing that and saying, I move for these reasons, as long as you can articulate why that was. Yeah. Um, and also, I, you know, sorry, I was going to say, can I just switch on something you just said then? Hmm. Because actually I've got, I, I have an audience through this podcast and, and I, I've been banging this drum now since October last year. And, and I had a, I've had a couple of conversations this week with people and it's still a realisation for them. The job market, despite what you see on the media, um, the job market is extremely buoyant and it has been for a very, very long time. What people are surprised at right now is actually it's a really tight labour market. Trying to get good candidates for the roles is where the struggle is at because people just aren't wanting to move because they're nervous about, about what it might be like if they if they change job. If anybody listening to this is concerned about changing job right now or thinking there aren't many jobs out there, there are. There are plenty of jobs out there. It is a very, very strong job market. It's the lack of candidates that from, from a recruitment side, and, and I know this is across the board because I've spoke to internal people, I've spoke to recruiters, um, it's finding good quality talent that's the difficulty right yeah. now. And what I would say is think about how you're approaching your, your job search. You know, gone are the days where you would just register your CV with a recruitment agency. You need to be much more proactive. You need to get on social media. You need to start building networks, physical and, and, and virtual. You need to get on all of the different groups. You need to get um, build a reputation. So I think I mentioned earlier that I found another job really quickly. And the reason that happened was because I'm on LinkedIn, you know, every day, just putting a little comment, a little post, a little article. Um, I talk about helping hands, you know, I reach out and help other people. So my reputation is built. And, you know, I'm not sort of saying I'm some sort of superstar in, in HR world. I'm really not. But people are starting to know who I am and what I stand for and what's important to me. You get so back what you up, give. So the more the more active you are and just commenting on other people's. And I say to, you know, HR people, if you're not, if you're not connecting with, with, um, with like, with your peer group, if you're not, if you're not, if you're a HR advisor, you're not connecting with managers, heads of directors, they don't know you exist. But if you, if you connect and build up your network and then raise your profile, just by connecting, commenting on people's posts, sharing, um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of it is HR relevant stuff that people are posting um, and just it, it will it'll increase your own knowledge and, and understanding. But you're also then becoming visible to other people and you're becoming on their radar yeah. at some point when you then need some support. You've already got that in the bank. You've got those credits there because your profile is raised above all oh, right, I'm out of work. Now I need to start connecting with people and trying to make people aware of me. That groundwork has already been done over the last yeah. X amount of time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's, it's a very different way of approaching the world of recruitment these days. Um, and it is about being the best that you can be and being visible at that. You know, we're all very bad at kind of shouting how good we are at things. Um, and we need to get much better at promoting ourselves and saying, this is who I am, this is what, I stand for, you know, this is what I've achieved. Come and, you know, come and find me sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Okay. I think, I think we've <laughs> run out of time. I could, like I said, I could keep, I think we're going to have to definitely have a Sophie part two no, at some point. I'm up for that. Um, 
there's loads of unturned stones that I'm sure we could get back. I think I think loads of people are going to be connecting with you on LinkedIn and asking questions, and um, hopefully your your um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, people joining the group. Um, I was going to say followers, but they're not followers, are they? Um, but people joining the 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 helping hands into HR group, both on Facebook and LinkedIn, hopefully will will increase and will because um, it's it's not about you. This is a they're, they're forums and platforms to just try and help people because um, you you know you get contributors to like me. I've seen other recruiters post jobs yeah. in there as well. Um, I promote about the podcast in there to try and help people. You, I've seen you put loads of discussion points up there to get people interacting and and talking as well. It's it's just a, it's another community, really, isn't it? That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, it was never about me preaching to people or saying this is the best way to do things. It was really about sharing my experiences, building up that network, and it's always been about the people function, not just HR. So we've got like L&D professionals on there. We've got OD professionals on there and people will put jobs on there. They'll post their thoughts and some great discussions going on at the moment about different things that are happening in the industry. Um, so yeah, I kind of facilitate it, I guess is the best word. Yeah. But really it's an open forum. Anybody can post on there. Anybody can contribute. Um, and, you know, we're now starting to see some really great kind of feedback in terms of, you know, I went for an interview and asked for some some thoughts and I followed them and I've got this job and you know, thank you for this. And Brilliant. so that, you know, you know, that that's kind of its own reward. But yeah, it, it's an open forum and it, it's just there for anybody that's interested in working in this sort of people function. Fantastic. Right. Final question then. So okay. what advice oh yeah, the last one. <laughs> um what advice would you give to um the younger you or somebody has who has aspirations to um to maybe become a, a head of hr so i think that there's two things there is what you decide at 18 or when you leave school isn't necessarily going to be the thing that you're doing at 40 um you know i've already talked about the fact that i changed career path and you know we don't always know what we want to do when we leave school have a goal in mind but don't make it too big if you're thinking about coming out at 18 and being the head of HR, you'll get really discouraged because you, you know, it's a long journey to get there. But have a think about what you're passionate about. What do you love doing? What gives your life meaning? You know, what your values are? And particularly, what sort of organisation do you want to work for? Because that's really important. Because the worst thing in the world is to go in as you know, a starting point um, as a HR administrator, advisor, whatever, with a company that doesn't share your passion for those things because that that's enough to put you off for life. Um, I think is be interested in lots of different things. There's such a big, big industry in the, in the HR and the people thing. What you're doing at 18 won't be the same thing you're doing 10 years later because there's so many opportunities to move into different um, parts of that. So just be interested in what's going in. Make, you know, Talk to people, have conversations with them. Don't don't let, let don't let people say no to you. If they say no to you because you're trying to go in through the front door, go through the back door. If they will open that and kick it down with your heels, you know it will take time and it will be frustrating at times. But there's always ways to do things. And you know, ask if people will mentor you. Mentors are an amazing resource, and so many people give up their time, you know, for free. And um, we've got quite a few on the helping hand group now. But learn from other people. Take advice. Um, and always question yourself what can I do better you know what can I do differently and um, how can I make this information work for me fantastic absolutely brilliant advice there I, there was loads of stuff I, I was like oh I could add this and that <laughs> I'm just conscious of time that's all um but Sophie honestly it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on there's you, you're so experienced I think 
you've just got such a fresh perspective on it and and I can see how you've been an amazing mentor to to people who you know ask for your advice obviously your time's limited and your capacity is limited but yeah thank you just thank you for coming on and 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 chatting through everything with me yeah thanks for having me and there we have it another show done Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, Also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, Feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant. But thanks again and see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. I've been an internal recruitment manager and a HR manager using the services of agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I've also been a job seeker who has been on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I have applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously drive those standards higher. This has come by offering a market-leading six-month 100% rebate, the innovation of a 3D CV concept that provides a video summary as well as the traditional CV for each candidate, and we place the focus on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, Get in touch and let's see how we can help you. And there we have it, another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, Also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, Feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant. But thanks again and see you next week.